never been a religious person. I was brought up in the Protestant tradition, so I know a lot of hymns, and this is one of my favourites. I think it's the rules and regulations that put me off organised religion. My mum's church was the Quakers, the Society of Friends, and they don't have many rules and regulations. I don't know why I've never joined the Society of Friends myself. Maybe it's because they don't sing hymns. But I've always had an interest in spirituality and the world beyond. I think that's because I was very ill as a small child and I had to face the possibility of death at a very early age. So I was always questioning what happens after we die and things like that. I am going somewhere with this. I'm not just rambling on about religion and spirituality today. I feel that now, more than ever, people really need religious and or spiritual guidance. This has been affecting me strongly recently. And I'm sure it's been affecting others too. And yet, although religious services are now allowed to take place after lockdown, I've heard that people are not allowed to sing songs of worship or even chant, presumably in case it spreads the virus. This sounds deeply questionable to me, even though I don't attend a church myself. It makes me feel as if someone with a lot of power understands just how uplifting voices resonating together can be, and wants to prevent that happening as long as possible, as part of this concerted effort to keep us all in a state of fear. It's like a war on our collective psyche. While there are massive efforts to ramp up fear and anxiety, there are also major efforts to trigger our anger and outrage as the BLM protests were steered towards divisiveness and hysteria. I've had a lot of stresses recently. Ironically, as lockdown has eased, I've had a lot more things to do, but it's been difficult to do them due to the financial restrictions brought on by the lockdown. And when you add that to all the worry about the new abnormal, I'm sure most people are going through similar stresses. I found it a bit like being on a roller coaster. One minute I'm seething with anger and feeling quite upset. And then I realise it's all psychological, a kind of built-up reaction to the very abnormal conditions that have been imposed recently. I've found that spirituality is the best thing to help me calm my mind at times like this. It's as if I know that this is the best way forward, but that every now and then I forget that. Spirituality is the closest word I have to describe what I mean. It's a very difficult thing to put into words because it doesn't really come from the part of the brain that deals with linguistics and logic. I think that most of humanity have forgotten our spiritual side, the consciousness, and that if we could remember it and use it in a positive way, we could all be so powerful, more powerful than we could ever imagine. But how can we remember this when we're bombarded by information 24 hours a day for some people? Some people even fall asleep with their phones or radios on. I'm very guilty of this, although I think I made a great leap forward when I stopped watching TV in 2012. I spoke about that in my last podcast. I don't even listen to the radio now, 
but I'm always either reading or listening to a podcast or watching a video. But I have been deliberately trying to find the time to switch the noise off, even just for 20 minutes. Sometimes I find it helpful to go for a walk, especially a walk alongside a river. It's just such a calming sound. I think the people who have been most panicked by this coronavirus crisis are the ones who watch TV or listen to the radio a lot and who don't turn off the news. I believe that this is the way we are being deliberately programmed. It seems a bit paranoid to say this. Am I talking about some shadowy elite cabal? I know that this has been planned. I've read the minutes of the 18th Sage Committee, which I discussed in my ninth podcast. That paper was prepared by the Sage Behavioural Science team, and it included this paragraph. A substantial number of people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. It could be that they are reassured by the low death rate in their demographic group, although levels of concern may be rising. The perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent, using hard-hitting emotional messaging. The mainstream media has been relentlessly churning out stories designed to trigger panic and distress with pictures of people wearing hazmat outfits and full PPE all over the place, accompanied with magnified, vividly coloured virus images which aren't accurate at all because viruses don't have a colour. Some newspapers like The Guardian have used graphics that look like blood clots as designs to decorate their panic-ridden reports. We're all meant to be in a state of, oh my God, frenetic anxiety and panic. I think that many people who've seen through the hype and are not going along with the scamdemic are getting very angry and triggered by the people who are panicking. And in a way, I think that this is just as destructive. Even if they mean well, their angry response is magnifying the emotions on all sides and increasing the tension so that everyone feels upset. I find myself getting annoyed sometimes when I see someone wearing a face mask while driving a car on their own or jumping into the road to avoid someone walking towards them. Sometimes I feel myself starting to put on an exasperated look. But then I stop myself because I really feel sorry for these people. They've been experiencing an onslaught of media fear-mongering for months. And for all I know, they might have lost a loved one to this disease. I believe that this disease is real, or at least there has been some disease going around that can can hit some people very hard. I personally know three people who have been ill with symptoms like a bad flu. And I also know a few people online who have been hit very hard by this illness. One of them sadly died. And although I can't personally prove that she had actually had COVID-19, I can't disprove it either. It could have been COVID. So when I pass someone on the street, maybe a young fit looking person who's masked up and looks nervous, my heart goes out to them. They might have an immune-compromised condition that's not immediately obvious, or they might know someone who's been very ill or who's died. I try to be sensitive. Otherwise, I think we're playing right into the hands of the witless wonders who are trying to control this world. One of the most obvious ways that they try to control us is through divide and conquer. By ramping up our most primitive emotions, fear, anger and insecurity, They are dividing us, isolating us and effecting a kind of trauma-based mind control. And this is what I'm finally coming to realise with a big, enormous dough. The only way to fight this is with love. 
I know this. I've been told it so many times. But sometimes we just need to practice it in order to get it through our thick skulls. And I certainly include myself in this. Sometimes I can spend most of the day feeling calm and loving and positive. And then something triggers me, a nasty reminder for an overdue bill, a news headline peddling propaganda, a new authoritarian government regulation. And those negative emotions just rise up. I think these are the kind of base emotions that most religions have been designed to help us manage. But those religions have then been twisted and corrupted and used for negative power. However, many religions still have those powerful positive messages at their core. I think that's why I love that Dear Lord and Father hymn, despite its paternalistic title. Around 2008, I was going through a really tough time. I was being systematically bullied at work by the owner of the company I worked for. I was feeling very bitter and angry, and I knew that I was potentially damaging my health. I felt a strong need for active spirituality, and I thought I would join a church. But at the time, there was an intense row going on about gay priests and women ministers. It put me right off. And then one day I spotted this advert on a library notice board for a Buddhist meditation group that happened to be just around the corner from where I worked. And they were holding lunchtime meditation sessions. I started going along at lunchtimes with a good friend. It was just wonderful. I would often go there choked up with bitterness and fury. And then half an hour later, I'd walk out feeling calm, relaxed and refreshed. It probably saved my life. I think everyone needs to find their own way to spirituality. There's no one formula to suit everyone. And you don't necessarily have to join others to do it. You can meditate on your own or go out into nature, walk slowly beside a river or look at lovely flowers or even just pictures of cute animals or just laugh at something really funny. But the key is not to take in information while you're doing it. We're all trained to be so productive. It's almost in our DNA in developed countries. But we need to give our minds space to be quiet, to allow that spirituality or the still small voice to come through. It doesn't have to be an actual voice. It can just be an awareness or a feeling of calm. A few weeks ago, I was watching the YouTube channel London Real. And I noticed that they had done an interview with Anita Murjani, a woman who I'd heard of before. Anita had an incredible near-death experience in 2006. She'd been suffering from cancer for four years and she was so ill that she weighed about six stone and had lemon-sized tumours all over her body. She was so weak that she was unable to lift up her head so it just lolled on her chest. Eventually she went into a coma and the doctors told her family that she had at most 36 hours to live. She then had a vivid near-death experience where she communicated with her late father and her best friend who died from cancer some years earlier. She returned to her body and astonished her family and doctors by opening her eyes and then by telling them exactly what she'd seen them doing while she was in a coma. Over the next four days, the tumours all disappeared and she eventually returned to full health. I first heard about Anita Mirjani a few years ago in an interview with a YouTube channel called Conscious TV. I highly recommend watching the Conscious TV interview with her or one of the two interviews that Brian Rose did with her on London Real. I'll put the link in the show notes. 
What really stood out for me in Anita's story was the power of the mind. She emphasises that she was very fearful before she got sick. She described herself as a people pleaser who felt duty bound to put other people's needs ahead of her own, to the extent that she neglected her own needs. As she was describing this, I thought about the safety advice given to airline passengers, that if the plane is having to land on water, you must put on your own life jacket before you put on your children's. In other words, if you're drowning, or if you're struggling to save yourself, you're no use to others. This is one of Anita's key messages, that it's not selfish to look after your own needs. Before she got sick, Anita was so fearful of getting cancer that it was almost an obsession. Everything she did, including the foods she ate, were designed to ward off cancer. But in doing so, cancer was on her mind all the time. And what you focus on most often becomes your reality. That and her incredible recovery from terminal cancer that defied medical science. To me, that illustrates the incredible power of the mind. I'm not sure exactly what Anita thinks about the COVID-19 crisis, as I think she's very careful not to judge anyone. She said that she and her husband are following the guidelines because they don't want to freak other people out. And that's, that's exactly what I've been trying to do although I won't wear a face mask. Listening to Anita, I realise how, how important it is to be calm and respectful about other people's choices, not just out of kindness, but because if we're screaming at one another, we're playing right into the hands of the witless wonders who are trying to control us by divide and rule. I'm not saying we should just bend over and capitulate. It's great to try and persuade others to wake up, but we need to do it in a calm way and not get too frustrated if they dig their heels in and refuse to wake up. People need to come to these things in their own way and a gentle nudge can be much, much more effective than a shouting match. The powers that shouldn't be are well aware of this and they, they use the nudge tactics very well. Another person who I think has a really admirable approach to this is the independent journalist Derek Brose. He did a live stream video reporting on the unmuzzled protests against face masks in Houston, Texas a few weeks ago. This was a small protest and it was held on the same day as a Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ pr protest. Many of those involved in the unmuzzled protest had right-wing political sympathies, although Derek Brose, who was also speaking at the rally, is an agorist and avoids political polarisation. During one of the speeches, a young man stood behind the speaker holding up a counter-protest banner. He was chased away, but Derek caught up with him and politely asked him what his objections were. The young man was almost incoherent with anxiety and distress, and Derek Bros seemed to be trying to calm him down. Eventually, the man ran away. Later on, Bros engaged in conversation with some other counter-activists who'd come over from the BLM ra rally, and they seemed to view the unmuzzled anti-face mask protesters as the enemy. Which in some ways they were, because the women coordinating the event had just engaged the crowd in a Blue Lives Matter chant. Derek Bros calmly pointed out that the restrictions the government is imposing on our freedoms affect all of us, regardless of race or sexuality, and that not all of the protesters were right-wing or anti-BLM. The debate was heated at first, but after a while, the tension was diffused and there was agreement on some things. I really admire what Derek Brose did that day. I think it's so important to have these conversations and to try and be calm about them. To try and understand where the other person is coming from. 
We won't change anyone's outlook by shouting at them or ridiculing them. Although I've never joined the Quakers, the Society of Friends, which was my mother's faith, I really admire it as a religion, and I've been to several Quaker meetings over the years. One thing I love about the Quaker approach is that when they have meetings about anything, and my mum used to host all kinds of Quaker meetings at her home, they sit in silence for a short period before the meeting starts. I think this is a really important way to deal with conflict, because if you storm in with all guns blazing, the chances are you'll say something that you regret, your arguments will be way off and you probably won't change anyone's mind. But if you calm your mind before you speak, you'll be gathering your thoughts, You'll speak with more wisdom and not only are you more likely to help the other person see your point of view, but you might actually learn from them too. People are so scared these days of having their mind changed, of learning something that might threaten their particular ideology or even the very identity that they've built up. And this is another way that fear can destroy us. Fear is dangerous. It takes courage to open yourself to accept another way of thinking, another point of view. But once you allow it to happen, it's a really exciting journey and it gives you a surprising sense of freedom. There are always attempts to divide society, but when you have fear thrown into the mix, people will willingly agree to the most authoritarian rules. That's what's happening now, more than ever, it seems. I'd like to talk more about the incredible power of the mind, but I think I'll leave it to another podcast because there's just so much you can say on this subject and I don't want this to be too long. So how does all this help us fight the COVID craziness and the unprecedented infringements on our liberties and civil rights? We certainly need to keep standing up to it all, but we need to try and fight it with love and humour and respect for others. We should try and be calm and relaxed about it, to resist those attempts by the powers that shouldn't be, to trigger our fear, anger and panic. I love watching Vernon Coleman on YouTube, but sometimes his words are so depressing that it makes me despair. He actually has the most wonderful dry sense of humour, and when he uses it, his message becomes superpowered. He made a brilliant two-part series about Bill Gates recently, with the title Just a Little Prick referring, of course, to Gates' passion for vaccinations. Whenever I think about those video chats, it makes me laugh. And another video chat that had the gloomy title, It's Going to Get Worse, was so funny. I think all our efforts are working. I can tell because it's the rule makers who are clearly getting panicked now, not the hundreds of people I've seen strolling around in the sunshine or enjoying a beer outside the newly opened pubs. The witless wonders who rule over us are behaving like cornered rats, trying to throw everything at us to ramp up more fear. But it's not working. There will be phases when it does seem to be working. There will be ups and downs. But I think they are onto a loser. The most important thing for us to do is to keep calm, to love and respect each other, and to stay in possession of our minds, not to lose it either in anger or fear. Stay strong. If you've enjoyed listening to my podcast, please subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. If you'd like to make a comment, download a transcript or view the show notes, go to imaginingfreedom.co.uk. Thanks for listening.